This Saturday afternoon at 4 is Nat's Prom, the weird Nat-centric party that you never knew that you needed. Come hang out at Walters with all of your social media and real-life Nat's friends. While we watch the boys take on the Giants later Saturday night, Walters is showing UFC 264 featuring Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Sunday, we have the Euro final. Make your weekend plans at Walters now. Walters is open until 2 a.m. This week, you and some friends can watch the Nats out west at Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Makes sense, the pitch. Swung on, hit in the air to deep left. This is way back. This may go. It is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Soto the opposite way with a line drive. Three-run home run. A little hop and a skip as he comes toward third of the home run trot. Listen to the crowd in San Diego. A lot of Juan Soto fans there. Nationals three and the Padres nothing. And the pitch swung on, line drive, down the left field line, base it. That will go into the corner. Bell scores from third, Gomes around third, he will trot home. And into second with his third hit of the game, a double and two runs batted in as Josh Harrison is now driven in three runs in the game tonight. Three runs home for the Nationals here with still only one out of the top of the eighth inning. And it's now the Nationals 13 and the Padres 2. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, July 8, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, an offensive eruption for the Nationals late night on Wednesday night. You know, we've talked about this gauntlet that the Nats are running as they head toward the All-Star break, and the idea is just kind of, you know, stay afloat, keep your head above water. Well, the Nats are doing that. The Nats are battling, and the Nats on Wednesday night broke out big time offensively, a 15-5 win at the San Diego Padres to improve to 42 and 43 on the season. Basically, everyone got in on the act. The only real complaint mark would be Kyle McGowan and Jeffrey Rodriguez. Can you get three outs, please, in the bottom of the ninth and end the darn thing? That was painful. But otherwise, a feel-good night for the Nationals late night at Petco Park. Yeah, that bottom of the ninth was a little little rough there at uh, 1.45 a.m. here on the East Coast, but they got it done. Brad Hand didn't even have to warm up. I was worried for a second there. Maybe he was going to get to that point. Brad Hand was going to have to warm up in a game that they led by, what, 13 runs going into that inning? Even more? I've lost track. I don't know. Here's what I'm encouraged by, Al. Kyle Schwarber got hurt on Friday. 
against the Dodgers. They have shown that even without him, they can score runs. They've scored 26 runs in the first three games of this series against the Padres. They're getting it from a lot of different contributors. And as much as we worried that Schwarber was the only one kind of shouldering the load there for about three weeks, we are actually seeing now a lineup that has a Trey Turner producing, a Juan Soto hitting the ball over the fence, Josh Bell hitting with some authority now over two months. And yes, Starlin Castro hitting about 370 over the last three weeks. They've got depth to the lineup. Don Gomes is delivering. The new leadoff hitter is delivering. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but you are actually seeing a team capable of scoring runs and getting the production from top to bottom and not just relying on one guy who's super hot. Right now, their biggest issue is the pitching and not the hitting, which I'm not sure we thought would be the case not that long ago. Well, and how about this now, too, with the offense? Wednesday is no longer just hump day. Wednesday is Nats day. This game on Wednesday night marked a third consecutive Wednesday on which the Nats won by scoring double-digit runs. 13-12 win at the Philadelphia Phillies on Wednesday, June 23rd. 15-6 win over the Tampa Bay Rays on Wednesday, June 30th. And now this 15-5 win at the San Diego Padres on Wednesday, July 7th. I don't think this really means anything, but I think that is kind of odd that each of the last three Wednesdays, the Nats have smashed opposing pitching. So if nothing else, bet the over when it comes to the Nationals on a Wednesday. I was going to say, what do the analytics tell you about that? Give, give me, give <laughs> me some, something in deep here. Give, give, me, give me what that really means. That's what we call quirky. That's what we call small sample size theater. Oh, but uh, okay. whatever the case may be, Nats do an awesome job in this game on Wednesday night. There's no doubt about that. I mean, 15 runs on 17 hits to go with three walks, 7 of 15 with runners in scoring position. The Nats scored 10 runs over the first four innings, including what was my favorite inning, the four-run second in which the entire rally happens with two outs. Victor Robles strikes out, Patrick Corbin strikes out, and then it was on. It was so funny to me how that inning ended up playing out. Yeah, that was good sustained rally there. And especially, you know, you get to the two big hits there, Bell and Castro, I was mentioning earlier, what they're now doing, lengthening the lineup, and delivering with runners in scoring position. We've seen Bell do this like pretty consistently now for a while. He has become maybe their second or third best hitter at this point. He's doing it with the bases loaded. He's now five for 11 on the season. All, remember all the issues they had as a team with the bases loaded has not been a problem for Josh Bell. And Castro, I'm telling you, this is now about three weeks that he has looked like a different hitter. Since he came back from that brief trip away to take care of the family matter, he has looked like a different hitter actually hitting the ball with authority, not just kind of throwing his bat at it to try to make contact, but actually driving the ball back up the middle, even a a double down the left field line in this game, coming through with runners in scoring position. It just makes such a difference. All those nights where we said, boy, once they get past the fourth spot in the lineup, forget about it. There's just something like anything else going on. And that's not the case right now. In this game, you had Castro fifth, Gomes sixth, and Gomes has been really productive, and Harrison seventh, and he had the two-run double late in the game. So, I mean, that to me is something that stands out that they're not just riding one or two hot bats right now. They're actually getting it from a lot of different guys. Yeah. I mean, Castro is an interesting guy offensively. I mean, for the longest time in this pre-All-Star break portion of the season, the guy was horrendous. Okay. And we talked about that, but there is this thing with Castro where he does seem to be a better hitter as seasons go on. His last non-Nat season, so his 2019 season, with the Miami Marlins. Castro was a really good hitter in July, August, and September of that year. Now, he was not good 
through June of that season. But maybe this season ends up playing out in a similar fashion in which, you know, for whatever reason, Starling Castro is a second half of the season hitter. And uh, that holds true to form here in 2021. But he's been really good lately. You mentioned Josh Bell. Josh Bell's OPS for the season now is up to 772. You know, I don't think it's uh, inconceivable that by the end of the month, he's got an 800 OPS on the year. Three hits for Bell on Wednesday night, a double and a couple of singles. So great to see that. And great to see Juan Soto homer again on Wednesday night and on the day on which we learn that Juan Soto will be participating in the Home Run Derby at Coors Field in Denver on Monday night. And let me salute you, my friend, because you brought this up on a recent installment of the Nats Chat podcast. And I know you were kind of half kidding when you said it, and it's not like you said this is going to happen, but you brought it up as something that, hey, this is the kind of thing that could get Soto going. And I think there is merit to that. And sure enough, Juan Soto, even though he only has 11 homers on the year, is going to be a participant in the home run derby. But he homers again on Wednesday night, second straight game in which he homers. And that was a key shot. First pitch, three run opposite field homer to left field in the top of the first inning. You know, we've discussed this with Soto, right? When he goes oppo, that's usually a great sign. Well, he went oppo on that home run. The surge for Soto on the road continues this season. 11 homers on the year. 10 of the 11 have come on the road. But he had that homer. He had a leadoff single in the Nats' four-run eighth. And he had a couple of walks on Wednesday night, one of which was intentional. Maybe just maybe Soto is getting going from a power-hitting standpoint here. So here's what I loved about the home run. It was the first pitch. We don't often see him do that. He's usually, you know, work the at-bat and try to hit with two strikes. So first pitch, and he hit that ball only at a 21-degree launch angle. That's like nothing. And it still cleared the fence. And he had one even less than that last week in the homestand. The one homer he finally hit at Nationals Park off Rich Hill was 19 degrees, even more ridiculously low. But he can do it because he hits it so hard. It just takes a tiny bit of elevation. And this is what we've been waiting to see from him. Good signs all around. And as far as the home run derby goes, I'll just say I believe I had that one, maybe unintentionally. But I think something about it did kind of make some sense to me that maybe all this time that you're just working on your swing and you're thinking about elevating the ball and just go the opposite way and all that, maybe he just needs to cut loose and swing for the fences at Coors Field next Monday night and see what happens. And maybe it could have a carryover effect. For so many players, they worry about the home run derby hurting their swing and messing it up. And in Soto's case, maybe he needs that feeling of what it's like just to keep connecting and hitting balls a mile in the thin air there. Now, we'll see. Who knows what's going to come of it. And the sad part is he has to face Otani in the first round because they rank him based on your total homers for the season to date. And Otani leads the world and Soto has the fewest homers of any of the eight competitors. So that's unfortunate. But he's going to be into it. You know, he's not doing this reluctantly. He kind of like Bryce Harper. He lives for these moments. This is going to be good for him. It's going to be good for the Nationals. And it's going to be good for baseball to have Juan Soto in the home run derby. Juan Soto, 11 homers on the year. Shohei, a major league leading 32 home runs on the season. (laughs) Otani nearly has triple the homers that Soto has. Otani is slugging a major league best 700 on the season. A 700 slugging percentage. That is otherworldly what Shohei Otani is doing right now. I really like the selection of Soto for the home run derby too from this standpoint. So from a merit perspective, he does not deserve to be there. But that's not what this is about. The Home Run Derby is a showcase. Juan Soto is a star. He's young. 
He's fun. He's a guy who clearly has earned a spot in a home run derby in previous seasons. Get him out there. You know, let him have some fun. Let's see what happens. And if nothing else, you know, you can further promote a guy in Juan Soto who is eminently promotable here if you're Major League Baseball. MLB needs all the help it can get to get younger fans, to promote young stars. And so have Soto out there on Monday night. I was very happy to see that news on Wednesday. And very good to see Soto doing this year. Second consecutive game in which he homers here in this series at the Padres. That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Chris Matt to the plate. Curveball, ground ball right side through for a base hit. Rounding third Castro coming home. He will score without a throw. Josh Harrison picks up his 28th RBI of the season. The Nationals have scored now in each inning, and they've hit double digits. The Nationals 10, and the Padres nothing. How about Josh Harrison? Another guy who had been scuffling here. Josh Harrison for a second consecutive game comes through. So in the 7-4 loss on Tuesday night, Harrison had that big three-run homer to 
basically dead center in the top of the fifth to tie the game at three. And then Harrison on Wednesday night reaches base four times, goes three for four with a double, two singles, and a walk. And, you know, watching Josh Harrison in this series, he's been the Nats starting left fielder. You mentioned the Nats thriving here despite being without Kyle Schwarber. Watching Harrison interact with the fans at Petco, and it's not like we've seen it a ton, but we've seen it enough on TV to where you really get a sense of it. It's been a pretty cool thing, and it's not been like a mean-spirited ordeal where like the fans are trashing him and he's trashing them back. This is like good-natured back and forth. We've discussed this with Josh Harrison. He has a lot of fun playing the game of baseball. He's someone who brings joy to the game quite clearly. You know, you have some guys, and we won't name them, but, you know, they look like they're always undergoing a root canal when they talk to the media, when they're out there on the field. Harrison is like the exact opposite of that. So he's the kind of guy who, when he does well, you feel good for him. Like, you root for him to do well. And he's doing well here over these last few games. He loves that stuff. You can tell. You can just see he feeds off the energy of the crowd. And he said, you know, every once in a while, somebody will say something that's a little over the top and, and offensive, and he doesn't care for that. But for the most part, it's been good-natured. And I think he finds that they realize when he is giving it back to them that they'll suddenly have more respect for him. So I think he's really enjoyed that. You know, you don't get that at second base. You're not as close to them. So being in left field the last few days has given them that opportunity. Now, here's something that ties in with that that may actually prevent him from playing left field at some point. I don't know if we're going to see this this week or maybe after the All-Star break, but Davey dropped a pretty big hint before the game and said that he might try Josh Bell in left field as a way to get Ryan Zimmerman in the lineup as well. Now, Bell has done this early in his career as a rookie, played some right field for the Pirates. He's been taking some fly balls there, apparently, during pregames. There was a moment the other night when they were, you know, all the injuries and they were up a creek. And if the game had continued, they were going to have no choice but to put him out there. Now, again, I don't know if it's going to happen, but Davey volunteered that in a question I'd asked him about how Bell is essentially playing every day now and Zim is not getting even starts against lefties as much because Bell's been so hot. And he said he's been trying to think of ways to get them both in there. And that is a possibility. I don't know what it would look like. I'm trying to picture 255 pound Josh Bell as an outfielder, but don't be shocked if we see that at some point here before Kyle Schwarber returns. You know, I actually, it would be nice if I can get them both in the lineup together. You might see Josh Bell playing a little bit of left field. He's been getting some work out there. You know, he's done it before. So, you know, who knows, you know, uh, but we're going to we're going to try to be creative, try to get the best lineup we can out there. Well, Josh Bell in his major league career has played one hundred eight and a third innings in right field. All of those innings came in the 2016 season with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He had minus five defensive runs saved over the one hundred eight and a third innings. I would caution against doing this, but we'll see. You know what? Davey right now seems to have a minus touch with some of this stuff, so we'll see on that. But the guy hasn't played the outfield in five years, so I'd be a little careful on something like that. But Bell's in a great spot right now offensively, no question about that. All right, we mentioned Soto, we mentioned Bell, we mentioned Castro, we mentioned Harrison. Jan Gomes, I know you brought him up. Another good game for him, two for six with a double and a single. Trey Turner had two singles on Wednesday night. Alcides Escobar, another game in which he gets on base multiple times. I mean, it's not always pretty with all CDs, okay? It's not meant to be pretty. The guy hadn't played in the majors since 2018. He's in his age 34 season, but one for five with a single and a hit by pitch. And, you know, here's what I love about Alcides Escobar. First of all, he puts the ball in play like every plate appearance. But second of all, in so many of these plate appearances, he goes down like 0-2 or 1-2 
and he ends up working the count to where the at-bat ends up being productive. That's not a skill that everyone has. He's got that. And I guess with Escobar, there maybe is a sense of, I got nothing to lose here, so you might as well, it's almost like the Paolo Espino thing. of You might as well just kind of YOLO it and have some fun with this and just do your thing. He's doing his thing here, and he's done a really admirable job over these last few games. He has, and he's doing it from the leadoff spot. And it's so bizarre to think about. Here's a guy who, in his career with the Royals, and I think it's like over 5,000 plate appearances with the Royals, he had a 292 on base percentage. That's awful. And yet Ned Yost would hit him leadoff and drive people crazy, and they won a World Series like that. And now Davey Martinez is hitting him leadoff, and he's reached base now. You know, it's only a few games, but he's reached base at a 435 clip, okay? I don't know how he's doing it. I don't know how this is going to last, but it is that ability to prolong at bats, foul off pitches, make the pitcher work, put the ball in play. He's not going to strike out. And there is a kind of a rub off effect of that when he's doing that, what it does for the rest of the lineup, even doesn't reach. At least he's making the pitcher throw a lot and letting his teammates see some of what the other pitcher has. So this is like finding gold in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they were not expecting this at all. This was a last ditch, just find somebody who can play shortstop while Trey Turner's out. And now all of a sudden he's starting at second base. And I'll be curious to see, does he continue there with Schwarber out? You can play Harrison and left and Escobar at second. And I think they're going to ride that hot hand as long as they can. He's been pretty good defensively as well. And yeah, I think there is something to be said for him playing with a little chip on his shoulder. He spent last year in Japan and then opened this year at AAA with the Royals club. And it took him a while to get back to the big leagues. And you know, he's trying to make the most of this opportunity that he's getting now. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a larger conversation. We've kind of had it of they were in this rut and so they had to trade for him. Like they didn't have any other options, but he's done a really good job. It's another instance of Mike Rizzo finding an older guy who looks done and the guy is anything but done with what he ends up doing. It's so bizarre how the Nats have this Midas touch with Cabrera and Para and Harrison and now Escobar, but the Nats clearly have that. And Ride it, man. Just keep riding it. As long as Alcides is up to the task, keep putting them out there. See what happens. I mean, I don't think this is like a long-term thing, but for now, enjoy it. Victor Robles had himself another double on Wednesday night, too. One for four with a double and a hit by pitch. Although, this is and this is kind of uh, par for the course with Robles, it was not like a hard hit double. It was kind of like he got jammed inside. He was able to kind of work the ball into left field. But still, it goes down as a, as a double, an RBI double, in fact, to left field in that Nationals two-run third inning. You know, the other thing, too, is it's not just that the Nats are scoring runs in this series, because it's not just Wednesday night, right? They also had seven runs in a 7-5 win on Monday night. But Petco Park, notorious pitcher's park. Padres, a very good pitching team, supposedly a very good fielding team. We haven't always seen that in this series. And yet you're doing this. Like, you're not having this series at Coors Field, or you're not having this series in a series against, you know, the Pirates or the Orioles. This is a good team the Nats are facing And the Nats have totaled 26 runs over the first three games of this series. Yeah. And again, it's coming from all parts of the lineup. It's not just one or two guys. So I do think that is encouraging. Now they're going to face a bigger test on Thursday and you Darvish, of course. But outside of that Dodger series, which was a mess, as we know, but the Nats were really depleted. I mean, they were not playing with a full 26 for any of those games. Outside of those four, from what I've seen, who the Nats have played this year, Nobody else has stood out as like clearly superior to them. Not the Mets, not the Giants right now, not the Padres. I think that bodes well for the rest of the season. Like we said, they've got to survive this stretch here, but they get through this all right in one piece and and they're back into sole possession of second place now. 
I do think there's still an opportunity for something here in the second half of this year. And let's see how they look against the Giants this weekend. But the first time they face them, I thought they were pretty even with them. This is a team that looks like it can compete with just about anybody in the league, especially when they don't have, you know, 12 players on the IL at the same time. National starting pitcher on Wednesday night was Patrick Corbin uh, in this 15-5 win at the Padres. I want to say two things. So number one, the final line, two runs in six innings, you take it and you run with it with the season that Patrick Corbin has had. That's a overall good game. However, personally, I did find this outing to be somewhat disappointing because to me, given the leads that Corbin was staked to, I really would have loved for him seemed to go, you know, seven or eight innings here. I thought this game had seven or eight innings from the starting pitcher, whoever it was, written all over it. I mean, Corbin ends up eating just six innings in a game in which the Nats are up seven nothing entering the bottom of the second, nine nothing entering the bottom of the third, ten nothing entering the bottom of the fourth. Corbin does give up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles, issues two walks and a hit by pitch, only has three strikeouts, throws sixty-six strikes versus forty balls on hundred six pitches. I'm not trying to say that he was terrible or anything like that. And again, in this season, two runs in six innings, I think you take that from Corbin, but I don't necessarily look at this as, oh well, Corbin is killing it here. I'm kind of like, you know, if Corbin is the Corbin he's supposed to be, he goes seven or eight innings in that game on Wednesday night, and that did not happen. No, it did not, and I'm with you on that. He did not have one clean inning, not one, one, two, three inning the entire night. He gets through the fourth, four scoreless innings, and it took him 72 pitches just to do that. That's not good, and his misses were all over the place, too. He was getting outs. He was getting the strikeouts that he got because almost like he was effectively wild. They didn't know where any of those pitches were going to go. Missing fastballs inside, sliders, bouncing them in the dirt. You know, I guess it was effective, but when you're pitching with that big of a lead, just go after them. Don't start. I mean, he loaded the bases in the bottom of the first with a three nothing lead, a couple of walks. You, you just, you can't do that. So yeah, I did not think this was him at his best. The results were good and, you know, he needed that and the team needed that. But I would not look at this and say, okay, Patrick Corbin is now on an upward trajectory again. If anything, this left me more concerned that the next time he pitches, which won't be until the second half, that he's still got his work cut out for him. He's not a good pitcher. You have to say that with where he's at over these last two seasons, 17 starts for Corbin this year. His ERA, even with the two runs and six innings on Wednesday night, is at 540. The whip is at 140. And I talked about this actually on my podcast the other day. If it wasn't for John Lester struggling so much with Eric Fetty back, with Steven Strasburg eventually coming back, there would be a conversation about, well, should Corbin still be in the rotation? Now, he's not going anywhere, especially with that six-year, $140 million contract. But again, if you're just going based on merit, bad last season, bad so far this season, even in this game on Wednesday night, you know, could have been a lot better. That's a, you know, you talk about like the to-do list for the Nationals in the post-All-Star break portion of the season. Getting Corbin on track is one of the big items. I don't know that it happens, but it's something that you're certainly shooting for. With the bullpen, look, I mean, the Nats win 15-5. I don't want to make too big of a deal out of this. That was an ultra-painful bottom of the ninth inning. When's the next time you think Davey will feel comfortable now using Jeffrey Rodriguez? Like 2024? (laughs) Because Rodriguez (laughs) faces four batters, finally gets the final out of giving up two singles and a walk. I mean, we know how reluctant Davey had already been to use Rodriguez. I don't think like we're going to see this guy the rest of the season at this point now. No, it did not help Jeffrey's case to get more work in higher leverage spots, I can tell you that. And look, desperately, he wanted McGowan to finish it, but he was up to 48 pitches. Yeah, it's a lot, I know. Yeah, so to, to leave him out there any longer, I think would have been criminal and not fair to McGowan, who could hurt himself. 
he just ran out of gas at that point. But if you're Jeffrey Rodriguez, just come in and get the final out, please. Please, it's 145 on the East Coast. We beg of you, Jeffrey. Here's the thing that I hadn't thought about that I happened just to look it up earlier in the day. This explains why, in part, Jeffrey Rodriguez has been on the team all this time. He's out of options. They can't send him down without losing him. Now, you can say, take the risk. Are they really that worried about somebody claiming him? And if they do, are you that worried about him blossoming elsewhere? They already lost him once. They traded him for Jan Gomes a couple of years ago, and he didn't stick with Cleveland. Now he's back in the organization. To me, this has been a wasted roster spot, and it's not helping his development either. If you actually think that he is going to be an important part of your team in the long term, then let him pitch. But if you don't, then now you're just stashing him away because you're worried about losing him. Well, how worried can you be about losing him if you don't even trust him to pitch in any situation of consequence? So to me, that's one that's got to change here at some point. The good news is they're getting other guys back. Hudson's back now. Finnegan's back. Fetty's back. Eventually, there's not going to be a spot for Jeffrey Rodriguez, and they're going to be forced into making that decision. Yeah, I did want to mention the Hudson news. That was very good news on Wednesday. The Nats reinstating Hudson from the 10-day injured list. He'd been on that since June 12th, retroactive to June 10th with right elbow inflammation. We wondered, would Hudson be back before the All-Star break? And now clearly he is. So this will be good. The Nats will have him. You know, they had him for Wednesday night, but they'll have him now for game four at the Padres and then for the three games at the San Francisco Giants coming up this weekend. Well, with that game four, what a pitching matchup. Maybe the single best pitching matchup we've had so far this season for the Nats. We have had some good ones, but this is a juicy one. Max Scherzer versus you, Darvish. It is a 9-10 start on Thursday night. We get a bit of a break from the brutally late starts of 10-10. Darvish over 17 starts this season. ERA at 265, a whip of 0.95. Max this season over 16 starts. ERA at 210, whip of 0.85. I mean, two of the best starters in baseball this year going head-to-head Thursday night at Petco. To me, the big question with Max for this game is, is he going to last longer than six innings? Max now has made three starts since coming off the 10-day injured list, which he was on due to the groin inflammation. He's been good in each start, but he has yet to go beyond six innings in any of those three starts. He talked about after his last outing, the 10-5 loss to the Dodgers at Nats Park last Friday night of, well, you know, this issue of pitching on four days rest. This was my second straight start doing that. I was set to do that with my next start. Well, we know now that that's not going to happen. I hope that he's able to push himself if, in fact, the situation calls for that. Given where the Nats are, the bullpen, as we saw in the bottom of the ninth on Wednesday night, is still not something you feel great about at this point, although, you know, things are getting better with a guy like Hudson back. Let's see Max go a little longer here, especially if this ends up being this anticipated pitcher's duel with you, Darvish. Yeah, I think that is what's going to happen here. And I think that's one of the reasons that they pushed him back a day as well as Corbin. Now, they knew that Fetty was going to be ready to come back, obviously. So that made a difference. But given the fact that Max didn't think he could be pushed last time, and now here you go, it's your last start of the first half. He's not going to be pitching again. At the moment, he's not an all-star. That could still change. We'll see. So let it all out. Here's your chance against a really good team, a really good lineup. Let it all out. Give us 110, 115 pitches. Get through the seventh or even more and see what you can do in a big-time matchup. Now, he's got to keep these guys in the yard. Tatis, Machado, Hosmer, Myers, Cronenworth. This is a good lineup he's facing. He's got to prove that he can keep them in the yard. Even in San Diego, the ball is traveling better than we would think in the past because these hitters are so good. This is an important start for him and a chance to you know take three out of four in this road series against a really good quality opponent. So I think he's up for it. And remember, Darvish was picked for the All-Star game and Max was not. Little chip on his shoulder. Not that Max ever needs that, but maybe just a little bit to say, hey, 
three-time Cy Young Award winner here, future Hall of Famer. You can pick me for the All-Star game. Well, I'm going to show you that I should have been on the the All-Star team. It's a joke that Max is not on that All-Star team, and hopefully that gets rectified. But this is why, by the way, you should never judge greatness based on All-Star selections. Because Max Scherzer, if things hold, is going to have the best ERA and the best whip of his career, and he's not an All-Star this year. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. But yeah, man, taking three or four at the Padres would be great. And with this particularly brutal stretch of the brutal run, starting with that makeup game against the Mets on June 28th, the Nats now are 5-5 five and five with uh, the last 10 games. So the game against the Mets, the two games against the Rays, four games against the Dodgers, even with a four-game sweep, and now these first three games at the Padres. As we've said, just kind of stay afloat, keep your head above water, schedule softens. You finally get some off days after the All-Star break here. But they're doing that here. They're staying in the fight, as Davey says, at 5-5. Five and five. Quick email to get to. Uh, you can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Stephen writes, is there any Nat in the team's history that you guys think was slash is as entertaining as Josh Harrison from a pure entertainment standpoint, not counting his on-the-field performance. Jay Hay is an absolute blast to watch. Yes, that was his nickname with the Pirates, Jay Hay. The Nats have had some guys along these lines over the years, but Harrison certainly is up there. Like we talked about with the interaction with the fans in left field at Petco, Harrison legitimately has fun being a major league player. There's something to be said for that. Yeah, no, 100%. There's just joy every time he's out there. And the interaction with the fans, I think, is great and with other players, too. I would say Juan Soto has a lot of joy on the field, too, especially when things are going well and he's feeling it. You can see that he's got it. Bryce Harper, when things were going well for him, he absolutely could bring it. Mostly younger in his career. It started to lose that a little bit as he got older. But those would be the ones that come to mind. I mean, obviously, Steven Strasburg is just total personality out there. Loves in, interacting with fans and teammates and opponents and big smile on his face every time he takes them out. Oh, well, no, maybe not. Loves talking uh, to media, too. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. Harrison's been really a pleasure to watch, and I've enjoyed it. You can tell he's kind of reinvigorated, too. I mean, he, his career was at a little bit of a, a make or break point. You know, he uh, was hurt a couple of years ago. Then he goes to the Phillies and ends up getting cut right at the end of camp. He's on his way home and the Nats come calling and he ends up with them. And he's kind of having a nice little second career here and not just as a utility guy, but as an everyday player and on a good team. So that's been fun to watch. I think he's been re-energized by it. And I know the whole team loves watching him play and interact and he brings energy for all of them. Yeah, he scored two runs on Wednesday night. I forget which run this was, but he high-stepped to home plate. (laughs) There are not many guys who do that. Harrison does that. That's great. I love seeing stuff like that. You tell us what you think. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can email us in written form or in voice memo form. Just record yourself saying something or asking a question in your smartphone. Then email us again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet the show as well, at Nats underscore chat. Please, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, consider subscribing to the podcast so it's right there for you each morning after every Nationals game. You can get your Nats Chat podcast t-shirt. You can also get your secret weapon t-shirt. We're still awaiting word on if our guy is going to stay in the Nats rotation. Hopefully he will. Uh, he should.H, uh, You can get your t-shirts by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. We welcome you all to the T-Mobile Home Run Derby. Maybe, here's a theory, kind of out there, maybe a couple of days in the thin, cool Coors Field air at the All-Star game will be what gets them going.
And I don't believe he's going to be in the home run derby, and nor that he deserved to be. But maybe that would actually be good. Get him to start swing, taking those swings and trying to elevate a ball at high elevation. And you know how they talk about like for like the Kyle Schwarbers before he got hurt, you don't want him to be in the home run derby because it might mess up your swing. Maybe it could actually fix Juan Soto's swing. Can we try some reverse logic? This is a George Costanza opposite situation. If whatever he's doing has been wrong, then the opposite must be true. So send him out there to Coors Field, let him bat in the home run derby, and maybe that'll fix all his problems. So one of the greatest lines in television history, my name is George, I'm unemployed, and I live with my parents. And it worked. He picked up the girl at the diner. (laughs) 